Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. I would ask that you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, as we continue looking at the genealogy of Jesus this morning, and in particular, the women within that genealogy and what they reveal to us about God's plans and purposes in bringing Jesus into the world. As you're turning there, I wonder if you have ever been in a situation where you have felt like an outsider. Maybe you can think back, it was on your very first day of School and you didn't know anybody else in the classroom or at the college that you'd chosen to attend. Maybe it was your first day on a new job and you walked into the the office unaware of all the inner workings and all the inner office dynamics that existed before you arrived. Maybe you've lived with a disability. We just saw the the youth here beautifully perform this song and, and sign it out, reminding us that there are those without the privilege of being able to hear. Maybe you found yourself in a busy market in a foreign country and all around you people were speaking a language you didn't understand, you didn't look like anybody there, you didn't know what the food in those stalls were, you felt out of place. Maybe it's when you come to church. You feel like an outsider. You look around and everyone else seems so put together, so happy, so highly regarded. You wonder, what on earth are you doing here in the midst of all these people? Now, I've personally had no shortage of awkward and uncomfortable situations in my own life where I felt like an outsider. One that I can remember, especially around Christmas time, was my very first Christmas with Lauren's family. And there I was, some smelly, pimply, snot-nosed kid trying to date their beauty queen of a daughter. And, and I walked in and there was her uncle and her dad and her brother, right? And, you know, I don't know what kind of deodorant I was wearing that night, but, but it was working overtime because I was sweating bullets in their midst. Right? I certainly felt like I did not belong there. But the wonderful thing about Christmas, and, and even that night with her family, the sweet lesson that I learned by their kindness is that Christmas is for outsiders. Christmas is for those that exist on the margins, that feel out of place, that feel like they don't belong. The whole point of Christmas is that Jesus Christ came in the flesh to take those who were far off, those who were estranged, those who were alienated, and bring them in as family. He takes His enemies and He welcomes them. That's what we're going to see today as we consider the story of Ruth. Ruth is the third woman mentioned here in Matthew's genealogy that we'll read in just a moment. Last week... We looked at the first two women mentioned, Tamar and Rahab. And we saw that Christmas is for prostitutes and liars. Now, I didn't necessarily expect at the end of that sermon for a large number of people to stand up and say, yes, you know, I'm I'm a prostitute, I'm a liar, I understand that, I get that. 
But I think we all can resonate with what we saw there that your labels, your past, and your enemies do not and cannot limit God's plan for your life. Today, we will see through Ruth what God does for those who are considered outsiders through redemption. Redemption is the theme of Ruth's story. Redemption is how God takes outsiders and makes them insiders, makes them family. And it's why Matthew chooses to include her within this genealogy. Therefore, if you're able this morning, I would ask that you please stand with me as we read together Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. There we read the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathon, and Mathon the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, fourteen generations. Says the word of the Lord, you may be seated. Let's once more bow together in prayer this morning. God, we come before you marveling at the work that you have accomplished, the things that you have done, and the things that you had to put into place in order to send Jesus, your Son, to us. We've rejoiced at the message this morning already that Gabriel was sent to tell Mary. And yet we see that 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 was not some spur-of-the-moment thing. That was not some late-in-time idea. But that was your plan from the beginning. And all the angels knew it. And they rejoiced to see your plan put into action. Lord, even centuries before Mary and Joseph made their trip to Bethlehem, you were working this plan out. 
through an outsider, through a Moabite, through a barren, widowed woman. Lord, as we see her story today, I pray that you would help us to see in it our own stories, our own estrangement from you, and how through redemption you have brought us near. Lord, I pray that there would be nobody in this room who leaves here today still an outsider from you and your family. Lord, do that work in the hearts of the hearers here today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we read through this genealogy, we come to the name Ruth, the third woman mentioned by Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit in this genealogy. And Ruth's story, as I said, is all about redemption. The very first thing that we see in Ruth's story is that redemption removes our alienation. We see this all throughout the little book that bears her name in the Old Testament. From the very outset, Ruth is portrayed to us as someone who is an outsider in need of redemption. We're told at the beginning of the book of Ruth that a Jewish family, Elimelech, Naomi, and their sons are forced to leave the land of Israel. They're forced to move into Moab because of a famine in the land. And this, if you know your Old Testament, this brings to mind the story of Jacob and his family being forced to move into Egypt due to a famine. And while they're there, their sons marry Moabite women. Now, the book of Ruth doesn't let us forget this about her. It doesn't let us forget her ethnic identity. We're reminded of it over and over again. In those four chapters, we're told seven different times that Ruth is a Moabite. Ruth the Moabite. It's almost like the is her middle name, Moabite is her last name. Ruth the Moabite. Over and over again. Now, we may not think much about that. After all, in in our day and age, it seems like we are working to get to the point where ethnicity doesn't matter so much anymore. And when we look back in the Old Testament, we see rules and restrictions about marrying foreign people, but the reason that they were forbidden from that, God tells them, is not because those people are racially inferior. He tells them, as a matter of fact, He says, don't think that I chose you Jews because you were better than everybody else. He's like, God tells them, I chose you out of my own good pleasure. But God forbid them from intermarrying with the people around them because he told them that would lead them into idolatry. It would lead them to worship the false gods of these other people. And Ruth, when we read through the book of Ruth, we see that she makes a commitment to worship the one true God. So, so what's the big deal? If she's already committed to worshiping God, why does it matter? Why, why does the author keep telling us that she is the Moabite? Well, the problem and the reason the author draws attention to this comes from Deuteronomy 23. In Deuteronomy 23, God excludes certain people from ever becoming part of the assembly of His people. In other words, they are deemed permanent outsiders. They are to be outsiders forever. That list includes first eunuchs, or people who have been emasculated, Second, it includes those that are born from illegitimate relationships. 
And then in verses 3 through 6, we read this. It says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. Here in these verses, the word forever is used twice to emphasize the fact that no Moabite is ever permitted to become part of the people of Israel. They're excluded. They're outsiders, and God says you're not even to seek their peace or their prosperity. Now you may think this is some obscure Old Testament law that doesn't really have any impact on us. Why should we care if Ammonites or Moabites are excluded from the people of God? I don't know any Ammonites. Do you? Do you have a co-worker that's an Ammonite or a Moabite? I mean, I don't think so. Why should we care though? We should care if Moabites cannot enter the assembly of the Lord forever because this particular Moabite is found in the genealogy of Jesus. And if she nor her descendants are allowed to enter into the assembly forever, well, that creates a real problem for us. And the Jews trace their identity, their ethnic identity, through the mother. So we can't get around this by saying, well, Boaz was Ruth's husband. He was the father of the child that would eventually come. So, so we can get around it that way. No, the Jews trace their lineage through the mother, their Jewish identity. And so if this woman is excluded and her offspring is excluded forever, as Deuteronomy 23 says, and this woman was the grandmother of King David... Well, then you can begin to connect the dots. David was an illegitimate king. David's sons were illegitimate rulers. And Jesus was an illegitimate Messiah. So you need to grasp the weight of Deuteronomy 23 here and the story of Ruth. If Ruth is excluded and her descendants are excluded forever, then Jesus could not have been the promised Messiah. And every one of us that have put our trust in Him are still dead in our trespasses and sins. And so our own salvation depends entirely on what happens in the story of Ruth. What redemption does for her. If David and Jesus are going to be legitimate Jews, if you and I are going to have salvation from our sins, if we're going to have any hope of heaven, then something about Ruth has to change. Her very nature has to change. She has to cease being a Moabite. She has to cease being an outsider, being alienated and foreign to something altogether different. Her whole identity has to change. Everything about her. And what we see when we read through the book of Ruth is that doesn't happen when she marries a Jewish man. When she marries one of Elimelech's sons, 
They still call her Ruth the Moabite. It doesn't happen when she chooses to relocate to Israel with Naomi and decides to go and move into the promised land with the people of God. She's still called Ruth the Moabite. It doesn't even happen when she vows there in Ruth to, that, that Naomi's God would be her God and her people, her people. She's still called Ruth the Moabite. She renounces her family. She renounces the false gods. And once she gets to Israel, she goes out and she works hard. She, we're, we're told throughout the story that she is a, a model citizen, an upstanding person. She's working to support her mother-in-law. She's a hard worker. But none of that matters. She's still Ruth the Moabite. That only changes, that designation only drops off of her name after she is redeemed. After Boaz redeems her. Once he sacrifices his own inheritance rights to purchase her, to create a family with her, only then does she cease to be known as Ruth the Moabite. Her entire identity changes once she is redeemed. In Ruth's story then, we see a picture of what Jesus was born to accomplish. It's why we celebrate Christmas. We found ourselves alienated, strangers, enemies of God and His kingdom. And there was absolutely nothing that you or I could do to change that. There was absolutely nothing we could do to change our own nature. No good works, no declaration we could make, nothing. And maybe you've tried your whole life to be a good person. And you look around you and you say, well, you know, I've not been perfect, but I'm a lot better than a lot of other folks out there. Maybe you've separated yourself from the world. You don't drink and you don't chew and you don't go with boys that do. Right? You've committed yourself to church attendance. You've worked hard. You've loved your family. Guess what? So did Ruth. She did all of it. And yet, the refrain still echoes about her, Ruth the Moabite. It's only when something that she had no control over whatsoever happens to her, when someone that she utterly depended on comes along and says, I will sacrifice myself. I will give what it takes to redeem you. That her nature is changed. Only then does she go from being an outsider to an insider only through redemption. So too for us, only the very Son of God sacrificing all that He had could purchase our redemption and give us a new nature. Could take us from being dead in our trespasses and sins to alive in Christ. To take us from being by nature children of wrath, to joint heirs with Jesus. Taking us from outsiders to family. It's what Jesus does for us through redemption. He removes our alienation. But even more than that, we see through Ruth that redemption restores our losses. Ruth and Naomi were two women that had been impoverished by death. What had rightfully been theirs in terms of land 
and food and income had all been taken from them when Elimelech and his sons died. Making matters worse, Ruth had been barren. She'd had no children with Elimelech's sons. She'd not conceived and produced an heir that would secure her future and the family line of her dead husband. Yet when Boaz chose to redeem Ruth and Naomi through this marriage, everything that had been lost was all of a sudden regained. The family inheritance was secured. Ruth and Naomi would not have to wonder ever again where their next meal was coming from. Not only that, but we're told in Ruth chapter 4 verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Notice just Boaz took Ruth, not Ruth the Moabite. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. God's plan was that through the act of redemption, Ruth's barrenness would be turned to fruitfulness. Her poverty would be turned to plenty. And her sorrow would be turned to joy. In the same way, Jesus promises His followers, He promises us, that if we trust in Him, one day everything lost would be restored. Everything that was lost at the fall, our eternal life, our sinless state, our relationship with God the Father, Jesus is working to restore. He has purchased that for us with His blood. And He tells His followers that even if because of following Me, you lose your family, if your family turns your back on you, turns their back on you, if you lose your home, whatever you lose will be restored to you a hundredfold. There is not one tear that you have shed that God has not seen and will not mark as a debt to be repaid. A wrong to be righted. A loss to be restored. Ruth is included in Jesus' genealogy to show us that what Boaz did for her on a limited scale by serving as a redeemer, by redeeming her, marrying her, producing an heir, Christ will do for us on an unfathomably larger scale. Which leads us to point number three. Redemption not only removes our alienation, it not only restores our losses, it reclaims our future. Ruth and Naomi's futures in the story looked bleak. When they return to Bethlehem after being in the land of Moab, they come back, these two women, Naomi had left with her husband and her sons, she comes back with a Moabite. In Jewish eyes, that was not a good trade. Listen to what she says. She says to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi was bitter because she could not fathom how her situation could ever improve. She even tells Ruth. She says, Ruth, you need to go back to your own family. If if I conceived a child this very night, if that were even possible, would you wait for him to become your husband? Naomi didn't see any way that God could turn her situation around. Her husband was dead. Her sons were dead. 
She was facing the prospect of living out her days in poverty as a beggar, and when she died, so too would any memory of her family ever existing. This is a devastating blow. Ever since Genesis 3.15 and the promise that God made in the Garden of Eden that one day through the seed of the woman He would send a serpent-crushing Savior, God's people had been waiting for that promised seed of the woman. That's why God put the system of Leverite marriage in place. That's what we looked at last week with, with Judah's sons. And how Judah's sons, his second son in particular, refused to produce an heir to his dead brother. He refused to practice the act of redemption that Boaz would ultimately accept. God put these laws into place to make sure that the family lines were perpetuated because it would be through these families that the Messiah would come. You see, everything is riding on one generation being sustained from one generation to the next, to the next. Because God had promised that a Messiah would come through the seed of the woman, through Abraham's line, through Jacob's line, through Judah's line. And here was a family in the, in the clan of Judah who it looked like their line was about to be extinguished. And with that, the hope of a Messiah. That's just one less opportunity for the seed of the woman, the serpent-crushing Savior, to come. It appears that for Naomi, the line has been broken. An entire family tree, an entire line of descendants uprooted. Her sons had died with no offspring, and now all that was left was this Moabite woman that was excluded from the assembly. No wonder she was bitter. But by chapter 4, all that changes. All that changes. Because Ruth and Naomi had been redeemed. But still, in order for there to be a hope for the future, something else had to occur. The birth of a baby. A baby that would, that would inherit the family name, the family line that would perpetuate that promise. And we're told that the Lord allowed Ruth to conceive when she married Boaz. And so as Naomi watched Ruth's stomach grow with this child, so too her own hope grew. Listen to what the same women the same women that Naomi made that bitter proclamation to at the beginning of the story of Ruth now say to her in Ruth chapter 4. It says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What a tremendous Thing God does for this family. And notice, the Redeemer that the women point to is not Boaz, but it's the child. It's the child that's born from that union. The line is perpetuated. The promise is preserved. 
Hope remains. And now Naomi can have joy. Even in her old age because her eyes has looked at the hope for her future. That child would be the one that would eventually be the grandfather of King David. And so through this act of redemption, Naomi and Ruth's future is reclaimed. And not just their future alone, but our future as well. Through this son, the Messiah's line would be established. Now there would still be many twists and turns along the way, as we'll see next week when we look at the next woman in this genealogy. But when redemption takes place, it rewrites the future. It changes what is yet to come. As we look through the rest of the story of the Old Testament, this is the theme that the prophets picked up on. They saw how God had taken this broken and ruined family and had established it when it looked like there was no hope. In Amos chapter 9, verse 11, the Lord says, He will restore the fallen booth of David. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, the Lord says, He will cause a shoot to grow up from the stump of Jesse, who is Ruth's grandson. Both of these images, a, a desolate broken house and a stump of a tree, they evoke a failure. When you go out and you see a tree stump, you realize there's no future for that tree stump. right? Its glory was in the past. It may have been a, a grand tree at one point, but now that's chopped down. It's gone. There's nothing left for that tree stump but for rot and decay. And yet Isaiah says, there's going to be a shoot. Like a baby from a barren widow, there's going to be a shoot coming from that stump. Like a child conceived by a virgin, a shoot from that stump will appear, will arise. And it's going to promise a hope of a future glory that is unfathomable and nothing like the past failures. Through redemption, an impossible future becomes possible. And so I would ask you today, what seems impossible for you? Does just the the very thought of waking up without pain seem impossible? Does having a genuine friendship seem impossible? Does your impossible include being romantically fulfilled? Having a drama-free family gathering this Christmas. Having a family at all. Are any of these things any less possible than it was for Naomi to have a Redeemer and an heir placed in her lap? Let alone a line of kings. Are these things any less possible than a virgin conceiving? God writes a miraculous future for us through redemption. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be the future we expect or even the future we thought that we wanted. But the future that God enables through the redeeming work of Christ on Calvary is something beyond any comprehension that we have here and now. It's more glorious than our imaginations could ever do justice. Naomi got the privilege of holding the future in her lap and looking into his eyes. She saw the realization of what 
So many others had died longing to see the promise fulfilled. And yet she too died before she saw the full scope of what God was going to do. This redemption story began of all places where? In Bethlehem. It's where Boaz, where Ruth and Naomi lived. And it was there that that this one act of redemption perpetuated the line that would lead to the Messiah who Himself would be born under miraculous conditions in that same city, perhaps not far from where Naomi held little Obed in her lap. We have seen the full story play out. What Naomi could only imagine, what Ruth could only imagine and hope for, we've seen it come to fulfillment through Jesus Christ. And even today, we too can hold it in our laps. We can look at it through the Word of God recorded for us, telling us the story of Jesus Christ who has come to die for our sins. We can see the future through God's Word that awaits all those that have put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And that should fill our hearts with unspeakable joy, even more than the joy that filled Naomi's heart as she held little Obed in her lap. There's one final thing that we need to see before we leave Ruth's story. Now this one may seem obvious, but it's necessary. It's been the point that's been there throughout the very beginning. And that is redemption requires a redeemer. You see, without a redeemer, Ruth and Naomi's story would have ended in heartbreak. Naomi would have died a widow without an heir, without the line of her family, without the property and inheritance of her family in the promised land being restored. Ruth would have died an outsider alienated from the people of God. They would have died impoverished, childless, and hopeless without a Redeemer. Their future, and indeed the very future of God's promise to provide through the seed of the woman, a serpent-crushing Savior, would have been impossible without a Redeemer. Enter Boaz. Boaz is everything that the men we looked at last week in the story of Tamar and Rahab were not. He did not selfishly consider his own inheritance like Onan did when he refused to redeem Tamar and produce an heir through her. When he was given the opportunity, he rebelled, he disobeyed. But instead, Boaz risked everything to redeem Ruth and Naomi. He did not fail to keep his word to these women like Judah did when he said that he would provide Tamar with his third son. Boaz proved a more trustworthy redeemer. When he told them that he would redeem them, he did it that very day. He didn't let the sun go down without keeping his word. And he points us to the kind of redeemer that we need as well. When Jesus was born to Mary in Bethlehem, the same city that these events took place in, he came to finish the work of redemption that Boaz had pointed to, that Boaz had proved to be a type of. Jesus said his own inheritance, his own comfort, his own position and rank aside, he said his own joys aside, he left heaven 
to condescend to us. To a humanity that had rebelled against Him, that would eventually spit in His face and crucify Him. And He knew that's what He was coming to do. He came to redeem us. And in redemption, He takes our sins, our debts on Himself, and instead He gives us what is rightfully His. He gives us His inheritance. He gives us His home in heaven. He gives us the relationship with the Father that He alone has. And He does all that through the work of redemption that He completed on Calvary's cross. Bearing the wrath of God for our sins. And then three days later, rising again, defeating death so that we could have a hope of a future. And so if you have not been redeemed, if you have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ, the bad news for you today is that you remain an outsider. Just like before Ruth experienced redemption, she remained Ruth the Moabite. You remain, insert your name, the outsider, the sinner, the condemned. You're alienated, an enemy of God, and you stand to lose everything. Your future is bleak. But the good news for you, the good news for all of us, is that God has sent a Redeemer. Have you trusted in Him? Have you allowed Him to redeem you? Maybe you came here today an outsider, separated from God, isolated. Maybe you felt uncomfortable for the past 30, 45 minutes as we've sat and looked at God's Word. Maybe you can't wait to get out of here. You don't have to leave in that condition. Today is the day that you can go from being an outsider to an insider. Go from being isolated, alienated, condemned, To being part of God's family. Today is the day of redemption for you. And so in just a moment, as we sing, I would invite you to come and let me know that you would like to experience the redemption that we've been talking about. You would like to know what it is to be brought into God's family. If you have already been redeemed, then take joy. You are an outsider no longer. The world may still consider you an outsider for any number of reasons, but none of those matter to God. You can be His child. Whatever things separate you from other people, whatever things separate you from the rest of the world, whatever labels have been attached to you, whatever difficulties you've had to overcome, whatever heartbreak you've experienced, if you have trusted in Christ, you are a child of the King. And all that is His, you stand to inherit Your future is brought. Let us go forward then with confident joy in our Redeemer and in our redemption. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You so much for the story of Ruth and how You took this woman who had no reason to hope that she could ever be part of Your people. And not only did You bring her in, Lord, you established her in the line of the Messiah. Through her, you brought us Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you for Ruth, but we thank you more so for the Savior who through her line came to redeem all of us. 
Lord, I pray that we would all know today the marvelous act of grace that you've demonstrated to us in sending Jesus to die for our sins and to rise again. Lord, my prayer is that there would be no one here who is uncertain about their redemption. Lord, if they are, if they are fearful, if they even now know that they are unredeemed, Lord, I pray that you would break their hearts. I pray that you would humble them to the point where they can have no satisfaction, no joy until this one overriding question is answered. Am I redeemed? Am I part of God's family? Am I a child of the King? Lord, if we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are your children, let us be joyful ambassadors proclaiming this redemption far and wide to all that we have the opportunity to tell. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.